You're listening to the Be Human podcast, where we break down what it means to be human. Don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe, and share. Hey, y'all. This is our second to last episode of our first season. I'm headed to America, so Kevin and I will be in the same time zone, same place, and we're excited about what we have in store for you all for season two. Be sure to check in to next week's episode, which is my story. I'm coming out. Y'all didn't hear me the first time, so tune in. You won't want to miss this. And now I'll hand it over to Kevin, who's with our guest, Paul. Fellow humans, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. And this week we have the legend that is Paul Dermody. Legend in my eyes, anyways. Uh, we know each other. We go way back uh, from when I was living in Galway. Um, and yeah, I suppose just around Paul, if you don't follow him on social media, I would highly, highly recommend it. This guy is honestly so inspirational, but the the content that he puts out there is so genuine and applicable to life and honestly very philosophical Paul I'll give you that you're very philosophical in, in how you write and I, I love it uh, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today so maybe to kick things off do you want to just introduce yourself to the audience well thanks for embarrassing me immediately Kev with the lovely <laughs> no problem <laughs> <laughs> I said you were on my podcast and I said it to you and I'll say it again and I'm not just saying this reciprocally I'm saying it because it's true you you were a massive motivation as to why I started in the fitness industry. You all those years back in Galway. <laughs> I'm telling. I'm telling you. I, I used to I say it. I said it. To, it. I used to say it to my mate Brian all the time. Um, so it's kind of nice that all these years on, I'm just chatting to you on the computer, and because I didn't know you at the time, I was just some mm. weird dude in Galway who said hello to you every time. I saw you <laughs> um, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm a personal trainer, uh, mostly online. I have a little bit of one-to-one training experience here in Vietnam because that's one thing lockdown taught me is the value of human connection I knew that anyway but it's a nice Mm. kick up the bum it's like here's something you know now go live it and um, I work with a lot of clients I I tend to work primarily with people who are trying to almost escape diet mentalities people essentially a bit like myself whereby fitness isn't our life but we'd like to create a moderate amount of everything um, Mm almost to get off this idea of diet mentalities. That's what I call it. You're not on the diet. You're not off the diet. You know, you're not, you're not the gym guy or the gym. You're living life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, essentially me and my lifestyle and my message has become attractive to my client base whereby, you know, Mm self-awareness and that kind of thing. So um, work primarily online. I do a little bit of podcasting myself. I like to travel when the world opens up or is open and, generally just a, a bit like your good self Kev, a, a general life enthusiast while i'm mm-hmm. here on god's green earth so that's kind of me in a nutshell in in the concept i've created around myself big time yeah no and i i honestly paul i think you nailed it and i think uh you know looking back when we were when we met, knew each other back in Gaul when we trained together i was probably i think maybe we're probably both on the extreme side of things where i was a guy in the gym seven days a week in feckin' five chicken breasts a day and and rice and treating myself by putting some sauce on my chicken and rice stuff like that and it was looking back you know i'm glad i did i thought it was valuable but i i similar to yourself now it's like it's about living life rather than molding my life around the gym and what i eat and making sure that everything is is structured in a way that is centered around 
hitting my macronutrients and, and all that stuff. So I think that's honestly why looking at your social media and your platforms, so much of your stuff resonates with me because you have that much more realistic and just balanced approach to it. And also, by the way, the results are insane, insane from your clients as well. So fair play. I, I appreciate that, man. I do. Um, I think the the core thread that goes through my coaching now is self-awareness. I think that's what it really comes down to. You know, I sometimes frustrate and infuriate my client base when they'll text me and they'll say, uh, should I track my macros or should I do this form of exercise or cardio or, or is this good? And I'll frustrate them by saying it might be easier for you to tell me why you would or wouldn't do it. They're like, oh, Paul, I hate when you do this. <laughs> yeah. I just want the answer. I'm like, you think you want the answer. You don't mm-hmm. want the answer. Trust me. It, it's, it's kind of the thing. You see, I used to look at you and I mean, I still... I still look at you with respect, but back then I might have looked at you with, say, how is he doing that? When I used to see someone like yourself or other fitness people who seemed to be able to control their shape year round, mm-hmm. or at least seem to be happy about it. And I was bouncing from extreme to extreme. Like I was bouncing from severe caloric restriction to like chronically debilitating, certainly mentally binge meals, binge cheating mm-hmm. meals. And I never could get my head around why I was on this kind of merry-go-round until I eventually started to think, right, well, this life can't continue. I'm going to have to figure this one out. So as much as I appreciate the the lovely words about the transformations and the, the mm-hmm. words like that, I surprisingly talk very little about food with my clients. Very little. Like I've had, you might've seen, I've had a couple of clients recently lose hundred pounds, 70 pounds, 80 pounds. And mm-hmm. the, the, I'm, I'm, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. The common thread that's running through all the people who are really taking charge is this element of self-awareness. Most people in my experience have been coming to me from this element of he's going to tell me what to do. And I actually think that's one of the worst life philosophies ever. It's anytime I've tried, I've been anxious or unhappy, as Mm -hmm. I mentioned to you briefly before the podcast, it's because I've been trying to put myself into a position that didn't align with who I was. So if I come along and say to someone, you know, eat this exact meal plan, and then all of a sudden they have an anniversary or they want a few beers or they're a retired old couple who live in Malaga in Spain and just want a bit of moderation. Immediately, Mm -hmm. I've set this pass fail mindset so it, it's kind of similar, not a totally dissimilar concept, in my opinion, without in any way sounding clinical to like exposure therapy. You're starting to expose yourself to maybe elements of moderation or elements of bad food or elements of taboo topics that maybe you felt you couldn't do before. And then you mm. do it and you realize that the consequences are nowhere near as bad as you feel. And then you start to create and cultivate your own self-awareness around food and obviously there are some principles kev you know that like there's there's calorie balance there's protein there's Mm -hmm. there's happiness there's is this adding to my life uh you know you can track your macros till the cows come home but if you can't take alex out for a beer on a friday night is that is that worth it you tell me it's not worth it for me no no i'm with you i'm with you yeah and i think it's i think it's really powerful what you're saying because looking back i was i would say i was in a similar-ish mind frame where i would be the religiously healthy, restrictive diet. And then I would have two pints of Ben and Jerry's in one sitting. And then the following day, I'd feel guilty and I'd feel like shit about myself. And I'd be back on the horse dieting. And I remember I used to go away on, on trips and I almost didn't enjoy the trips because I'd be there and I'd be like eating junk food. I'm like, I'm on holidays. But then I'd be like, come back and be like, oh my God, I feel like crap. I, you know, I hate myself for eating that. You know what I mean? And it, it it robbed me of the happiness of when I'm seeing traveling around Europe or something like that. And I'm and I'm and what I'm thinking about is, oh, I shouldn't have had that donut or that waffle or whatever that might be. And it just, yeah, it's just it's just so unhealthy. You go from a, a place of, you know, 
treating yourself to feeling guilty for for kind of getting some satisfaction out of life. And I think you kind of touched on it there. I'm curious to kind of like understand a bit more about you said you had that kind of really unhealthy sort of restrictive to to binging. Can you can you elaborate a bit more on that? Uh, yeah, I've had it all my life, dude, since I've been a teenager. It was at its worst when I was a teen. And I never really told anyone. Mm. It was kind of one of those things I said, I'm going to figure this one out myself. I've always been that kind of person. And I've learned in my 20s, certainly, that it's actually not necessarily the healthiest thing to do. You'll know that, obviously. But you need mm. to have a, a solid trust network of people you can open up to. And I very much do. I've always been lucky that my current girlfriend and my ex-girlfriend, both incredible women, um, my sister, one of my best influences and my, my couple of best mates. But I used to like, I remember I used to believe if you ate after six, you'd store body fat. And then if I eat at 9 p.m., I'd feel so guilty, I'd get bulimic. I'd put my fingers on my throat and I'd get sick. Just wow, extreme, really? yeah, extreme. Ex- I went to extremes with everything. Even I'd buy a bodybuilding magazine and it would say like, you know, eat to shred. And there'd be a guy and, you know, looking back now, 16 years training experience, probably enhanced with, with drugs and performance enhancers, yeah. 6% body fat, you know, being paid to promote a supplement. And sure, I'd be there 16, I'd be five minutes in the gym, technique all over the place going, well, that lad doesn't eat carbs with his breakfast. And immediately if I had carbs with breakfast, I had set the tone of fail for the day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that obviously kind of transpired to this extreme black and white thinking. So ultimately, I mean, I, I can look back now and I always think, go deeper. I always think we're having a lot of these important conversations on, on the wrong level. I always think there's, there's levels to go down. I think it a lot with societal conversations and problems in society. I think it, a lot with personal stuff. I think we're having the right kind of conversation, but I think we're not having it on the right level. If I go back to where I was, certainly as a 16-year-old boy, and even to a degree right into my mid-20s, I fell into cognitive traps of, say, black and white thinking. You know, mm-hmm. all great all bad, false dichotomies, you know, the idea that it was all of one thing or all of the other thing. And I couldn't see I was in a cycle. So Kev, I would literally go minus 42 calories some days. And if I couldn't stick with that obscene number of calories, you know, I would genuinely go thousands and thousands of calories. You mentioned two pints of Ben and Jerry's sounded like a warm up for me on some of my binges. And I managed to combat that and make peace with it. And I went to college and I had a very good social life. So that was fine probably more in alignment with who I am, quite a social guy, very mm-hmm. happy-go-lucky kind of person. Then I came out of college and felt a bit lost again, tried my hand at bodybuilding. Uh, I know you're, you excelled in natural bodybuilding. And as much as I'm grateful to what it taught me, discipline, the, the fact that I wasn't a lazy, unmotivated git that I told myself all my life, mm-hmm. uh, I, it wasn't in alignment with me. And because of that, it exacerbated again a lot of my own binge eating tendencies. So on and off, on and off with the exception of college for about a seven year period, unbeknownst to anybody else, I had basically bulimia, uh, binge eating. Now what I would believe would be diagnosed as binge eating disorder. I believe that based on the symptoms, based on my own studies of it. Um, but I'm grateful to it in a strange sense. It's made me the person mm-hmm. I am today. And it's it's given me the business ethos I have today in a sense too, where not to slap my clients with meal plans, not to assume, not to assume you know, your psychology, we're, we're quite similar in ways, but our psychologies mm-hmm. will be different. And that's different, again, from my 42-year-old female mother of four. Um, so I'm very grateful to those kind of things. But to your specific question, it was just almost a case where I had such a false dichot- false dichotomous mindset of, well, this is either healthy or unhealthy, and there is no middle ground. So mm-hmm. I either, I'm not eating this, or if I eat this, it's hell for leather or complete handbrake, complete fuck it mindset. You know, I've messed up the diet, 
might as well keep going. I'll start the new diet again on Monday. And it was a cycle. It was a really, really bad cycle. And I had to exercise obsessively to combat that, which was even worse. So mm -hmm. some people go the other way and they get demotivated and they can't do anything. And that's why I get a bit frustrated when I hear people say really labored statements like obesity is a choice or, or for example, certain kind of people are just lazy. I used to believe it. I no longer do. I have learned a lot the hard way that it, there's so much more to it. There's complexities to it. You can't see the cycle you're in necessarily. Mm -hmm. Mine just manifested themselves in all of the extreme behaviors towards control, you might argue. And it was around somewhere in my mid-20s when I started seeking a bit of a deeper meaning for life. Ultimately, Kev, the way I've been able to describe it, and I don't know if this will resonate. I don't even know if this is technically correct. It's the best I'm able to articulate it right now with the knowledge I have is I basically met my ego. I met the perception of myself I had created, the part that perhaps looked up to guys like you, looked up to fitness model guys, lean dudes, jacked guys. And as much as if you offered it to me now, of course, I'd love to be 5% body fat and the strongest guy on the planet. But I'm not willing to do those things. They're not in alignment with who I am. I'd much rather be fit, active, healthy, have a beer, have a salad, have it all, right? That's, mm -hmm. And I know I talk about this a lot because I think these little details really matter. But I met my ego. He was trying to pigeonhole me into this identity that I wasn't in alignment with me. It wasn't authentic. It was trying to make me become some kind of fit, strong bodybuilder. It was trying to almost find meaning based on the validation that that could get me perhaps. Mm -hmm. And once I decided to audit that part of myself, I realized I was living a very inauthentic experience. And that did start a, a bit of a, a life rebirth, certainly a re-evaluation re of my own personal values. Mm -hmm. And it, it, if I was to go to what I took from that, it's the best lesson ever. I did get some degree of external validation from being told I was in amazing shape. I kind of liked the fact that girls thought I was quite attractive and other guys were complimenting my biceps and things like that. And you know, I wasn't short of that. I was never in bad shape by any means, but I got into crazy shape for bodybuilding, obviously. And um, now I take that forward. I'll never let my ego get the run of me with business. If I have certain financial targets or if I have certain what would look to the external world as success targets, you know, there's always someone with a bigger yacht in the art. Don't get too carried mm -hmm. away. Yeah. That kind of way. Yeah. And I think it's uh it's interesting. So so I'm a big Tony Robbins fan, as I'm sure every single person who lis listens to this uh, listens to this show knows. But uh, you know, we we have different values in life, um, and it's I you know some of them are certainty or uncertainty. People who value certainty, they you know need the structure. They they don't want to venture outside of like the nine to five job or take a risk. Nothing like that. It's it's certainty, but unfortunately, certainty in life doesn't bring you a lot of fulfillment. But one of the big ones is significance. Now, significance isn't really that health. It isn't a healthy value because significance means, you know, getting the attention, getting the admiration, getting the likes on, on Instagram. Um, it might make us feel good, but it doesn't really bring us any real fulfillment in life. I mean, at the end of the day, you need to be significant internally. Like you need to love yourself and appreciate yourself Um and not focused on what the what attention you're getting outside from the outside world. But unfortunately, I mean, I was in the exact same vein, like, you know, and realistically, part of why I like exercising and, and, and working out is, is because I look good. It's not necessarily for the attention, but for myself and internally, I still like to, to feel and look good. But it sounds like so much of what was driving you in the past was 
for that admiration and uh, you know adulation from from other people um it, it was only for a short time because mm. i'd never really had it before i wasn't particularly academic or studious i never got really good grades i, I dropped out of college so it's not some kind of altruistic i'm so perfect story it's i, I wasn't really used to it on that degree and even when i did get it for that period uh it was kind of nice but deep down deep down i was like this isn't this isn't you yeah like for me. you know this you know when you know something deep down and you can only see it in hindsight like harry hindsight's the best trader in town but you know it's it's difficult yeah, yeah. when you're when you're in that kind of mindset um but i absolutely wholeheartedly agree i think you have to you have to be at peace with yourself it's, it's mm-hmm. something that i'm encouraging every single client when they're trying to achieve say especially extreme weight loss goals I do think I'm saying it in a way they've never heard before. I really do that. You have to let, get rid of the urgency to some degree. You have to approach this with a sense of calm and a sense of peace and a sense mm-hmm. that there's no end date and a sense that you need to do this for yourself. There's a wonderful philosophy by Naval that I love. That Naval Ravikant. I, yeah. I'm reading yeah, his yeah. book, dude. I oh, love him. He is yeah, an I, absolute legend. That's there. He's, he's a legend. There you go right there. Him. Yeah. Um, it's basically, you know, happiness is peace at rest and peace is happiness in motion. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of one of those book dropping moments for me personally, where I was like, that's a wonderful way to phrase it. And that's, again, much more, talk about alignment. That's much more in alignment with who I am. I, I've i been fortunate enough to travel quite a bit in the just pre-COVID for that two years. And you meet mm-hmm. people from all kind of backgrounds and all walks of life. And nobody is talking about what kind of, no, no conversation of meaning is talking about any of the kind of the more shallow things in life. Nobody's talking about biceps. Nobody's talking about, care. I mean, I'm with you hundred percent. That's not the same as not caring. Like I still care. I love to feel fit. I love to be lean. I love to be strong. And I'm by no means gone from obsessed with being in shape to not caring. I'm still fit. And I still consider myself a fit looking lad. I'm just not the, the muscle bound freak I once aspired to be. Mm-hmm. And it's the best conversations I've had are with some very challenging people who say things maybe from different cultures or different views on the world. They say things that in ways I've never conceptualized or considered before, or they see the world very different. Or the, but, but it's never been about macros, calories, biceps, cars, ego status, mm-hmm. things, not any of the meaningful conversations that I've had. And if you pay attention, you know, you talked about a moment ago about Tony Robbins talking about um, like values, something I've been really deliberating on and I'm not sure is, do you decide your values or do you pay attention and discover your actual values? Because I don't know what the crack is because once I stopped in my twenties and I'm not saying as if I've figured this out because the idea I'm a complete package is nonsense, but to the degree in which I can speak, once I stopped forcing what wasn't and I allowed what kind of was, I just became instantly a lot more peaceful and happier. And I realized, well, I love I love uncertainty, so that lends mm-hmm. itself to running a little business and traveling. I mm-hmm. love people, so that lends itself to a little people-oriented business while I travel. Hmm, maybe this could work. And I've mm-hmm. just been so much more at peace with myself in the last couple of years. If I miss a gym workout, that was what the universe planned for me today. If I was yeah. planning on eating six salads today because health, and then someone goes, hey, pa- fancy a few craft beers. I'm like, that's what the universe had planned for me today, a good conversation mm-hmm. over a beer. So I don't freak out and stress about what was meant to be too much. I do love uncertainty. And I don't think I've changed. I think I've allowed that to be. Yeah, absolutely. I love it, Paul. I'm I'm curious to to take a step back, looking back to those times where you know you are bulimic to an extent. So I suppose two part question: what what like what kind of was going through your mind, and what thoughts were you having when it like it would get to that stage? And then secondly, how have you how do you teach your clients to you know, because like your clients have had, inc- like we're, I'm talking jaw dropping transformations, like truly. 
And I'm curious to learn how you've taught them to be patient. You know, when we're in a world of, I want it quick, fast, now. Um, and it kind of blows my mind because I would imagine that some of these people have the most deeply ingrained habits of eating poorly and not exercising. And you obviously have a knack for helping them to, to change that. So, yeah. So two part question, I suppose. Curious, would love to understand a bit more um, just about around what was going through your mind, the thoughts you were having back when, when things got pretty dire for you and then how you've kind of helped your clients get through those, those periods. The thoughts around food, and thank you, by the way, I appreciate those lovely words, mostly on behalf of my client base. They're really wonderful people. Most of the mm-hmm. time, many of the times, pardon, they'll say, you know, I have so much in my life figured out, but the food thing I'm really struggling to figure out. And I think they really like the fact that I don't judge them. And I really don't because, A, if you went to a therapist and said, I'm having this problem with my mentality or my mental health or my perception of the world, if they said, figure this shit out, you'd be thinking, whoa, relax. Like, I'm, I need my money back. I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah, I've laid myself vulnerably on the line. Like, who, who the fuck are you to judge me? Pardon my, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. So when people come to me and they say, look, I figured this part out, but the nutrition thing is something I'm really struggling with. And I'll say, okay, tell me, like, tell me about it. Tell me, tell me exactly where you're at. Tell me what it's like. Tell me a day in the life. I want to know. And I do think immediately people feel safe to open up and tell me things because they know I'm not going to sugarcoat lies, but I'm never going to say anything for the sake of it. Never anything harsh, never anything like that. So I think it's a case of we're all quite capable and we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. And I think we all are, we're all doing our best with the knowledge we have. And mine just doesn't happen to be the nutrition principle struggle anymore, but I have other struggles in my life. Just like this person's asking for help with their nutrition. It's, it's a very normal thing. Back to my own experiences with bulimia, binge eating. It's, a, it's an all-consuming experience. It's why I relate to people, even if I don't, I think it's why I think I relate to people. I'm hesitant to say I definitely relate to people. It's why I think I relate to so many people who have struggles. It's all-consuming, man. It's like I saw a picture of myself when I was 17, and I had gone from like a 15-year-old with like loads of puppy fat to like gaunt, and I thought I was fat. Like I really had this obnoxious fear that I was fat. I remember my dad one day being, and my dad, when my dad speaks, I listen because he's only given out to me about four times in my life, whereas my mother would be given out to me every six seconds. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> my dad was like, I can see your ribs. Like, you, you know, this, what the mm-hmm. hell? You need to relax a little bit. And I, I had this massive perception of myself that I was fat, that I was overweight, that I was carrying so much excess. And it's all consuming. You're there. Like some evenings you just have a bowl of soup and then you have, what if that stores his body fat? What have I done? This isn't yeah. part of the plan. And wow. then you just run to the toilet, get sick. And then you just continue that cycle. It's, it's this wave of obsession that just comes over you and you cannot see beyond it. You really mm-hmm. just can't see beyond it when you're in the middle of it. It's, it's a very difficult experience. And then that gets exacerbated even worse because you're like, okay, well tomorrow I'm going to be perfect. Well, tomorrow I'm back on the celery sticks and the tuna and I'm not going to eat anything else. And, and you're, you're, you're literally eating tuna. I don't know about you, Kev, but as a 16, 17-year-old boy who's trying to grow and study and live a life, about a 1,000 calories a day in the form of celery and tuna is not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. And you're ravenous by nighttime. And you're just – like it was almost daily at this stage where I would binge, restrict, binge, restrict, binge. And every day I promised myself tomorrow I'll be better. I'm such a failure. What the fuck are you doing? You're, you're just a useless, unmotivated, lazy yeah. guy. Why can't you stick with this? So the sad talk was – brutal but you know you you live and learn and you get through it and you 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 actually learn to live with it to a certain degree and you mask it and you hide it and then you put yourself in a position where you make sure that nobody can seize the bad habits and Mm -hmm. 
I even remember being in some positions where like you're there anxious about the, the, the barbecue, you're anxious about the thing. And then there's almost this relief when you say, well, I'm just going to get sick after it so I can just enjoy it. So you're just eating the pizza or the burger with your mates. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter because I'm going to go straight in and get sick. So mm. it's a strange, strange feeling. It was really bad in my teens. The bulimia part of it was all teenage related. The binging persisted into my 20s parts of my 20s but the bulimic part stopped because it was a cycle i was determined to break and i knew that getting sick was just feeding back into that um so it got pretty desperate for me it was pretty mm -hmm. awful there were evenings i cried in my room eating food and yeah. no one knew no one knew and i decided then well bodybuilding will be the outlet i'm going to use to fix this and to be fair to myself i i managed to stay completely disciplined and perfect but that just fed more into the perfection imperfection cycle you know eight weeks of perfection 10 weeks of perfection followed by the same habits again and um then i met my girlfriend and then i obviously met brian keen i had met brian keen and he started talking about transitioning into a career and i as soon as I met my girlfriend and I started talking about maybe changing career, instantly a flick switched. And it was like, maybe, I don't know what it is, but maybe there's some kind of meaning away from this. Maybe there's some kind of aim I could have away from having the perfect body. Now, again, that sounds like it was a simple transition. It wasn't. It was, it was one of the most difficult transitional periods in my entire life. But it was just a cycle I knew I couldn't continue. And as I said earlier, I started to meet my ego, which I did. I started to question why I had... The perception of myself as a fitness guy and other people in my life didn't why were my thoughts all consuming and theirs weren't and i started questioning my thoughts what i've now come to understand a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy today is just something that i happen to start doing why why is this thought inherently the way it is why is it true why would this be false how do i know mm -hmm. how do i know i know and i started asking myself deeper 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 questions and and almost using aspects of other people that i liked to to further my own thinking like I used to look at my dad, such a happy, happy man. I started looking at some of my best friends thinking, how are they in that mindset? How are they eating the one chocolate bar and having the three beers and relaxing about it? Mm -hmm. why, why is their perception of themselves and the world better than mine? And I almost took it as a good thing that the problem wasn't the world, the problem was me. And I could change that because when the problem's me, I can change. If the problem was genuinely the world, then I'm screwed. Yeah. So I got lucky in that standpoint but yeah it was it's an all-consuming mindset and i certainly my experience i can't speak for anybody else certainly and i never would like to because i have no clinical background i didn't seek help for this it's just kind of reparenting myself i spent years just deciding i was going to pull myself out of it and i started trying certain techniques i, I ended up doing again what i've come to understand now is inner child work but i didn't know these concepts at the time i just did what felt intuitively correct mm -hmm. and and eventually, once I started, you know, I started meeting my girlfriend, she introduced me to a lot of other aspects of life, even just a nice meal that wasn't chicken and broccoli, as stupid as it sounds. That was that was once a, a luxury, like, this isn't chicken and broccoli and it tastes nice. What kind of wizardry are you performing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, sure. career transition, just getting a little bit older and wondering what I wanted for my life. Did yeah. I want to inherit these values if I ever had children? Did I want my child to think about their body and food the way that I thought about it? because yeah. I certainly didn't want that for anybody. So I got quite lucky with that. I'm curious, so this inner, I'd love to learn a little bit more. So you said there was a couple of different, you didn't get therapy and you managed to no. push through, which is incredible. And something that really resonates with me is when I was going through, uh, you know, my particularly, you know, low period with anxiety and depression, I didn't necessarily, you know, say, I'm happy or I'm happy. I'm going to be I'm positive. Life is great. Life is great. I'm happy. I was, I was very similar. I just sort of made a commitment and a decision to myself. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to find a way. 
And that was my goal. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily I'm happy. It's It, it was more like what I would, the self-talk was more like, I'm going to get through this. I will be happy. You know, I w- it, those are the sort of goals and commitments I made to myself rather than just trying to force feed myself. I'm happy and positive when I wasn't. But um, I would love to learn just a little bit more. Just So let's say somebody who's going through similar situation to yourself. Can you speak to this inner child work? Because I think it's really interesting. I've only done a little bit myself, but I find it very, very interesting. I'd love to learn how you approach that. And then if there were any other techniques that you you kind of took brought into your life as well to kind of get you through that particularly difficult period. But So I just want to preface this part by saying this is not something I've learned. So if somebody has any kind of intellectual or academic background. And, if, if people uh, if people want to complain about it, let them <laughs> cool. Don't, yeah. go listen to another podcast. Don't. Well, so, someone <laughs> recently asked me about things like crypto. And I said, I don't like speaking about something I don't understand. And mm-hmm. this is one of those things I understand for me. So exactly. I have a couple of particular useful methods that I dealt with. I believe on some degree, I was called fat twice in school to the point where I can take myself back to the exact moment, once around 10 years old and once around 15 years old. And I have seen one of, like, I don't harbor any resentment. I don't harbor the grudge, nothing like that. But mm-hmm. but looking back, you know, you can acknowledge a moment without staying resentful over it. And I've seen that guy around homes before I left. Um, and he's like, he always says, hey, Paul, what's the crack? And like, he's so genuine, he doesn't remember that moment. He's 30 years of age, you know, big yeah. deal. And that moment stung me for years, more years than I'd like to admit. And if I think back now, if you put a 10-year-old boy in front of me, a 10-year-old boy, that was him, say, or any 10-year-old boy, and said, that's your enemy. That's what's, as a 25, 26-year-old man at the time, that's the enemy that you're holding on to. That little innocent 10-year-old boy that doesn't know any sense is the enemy. And mm-hmm. the ten-year-old that I was is is the the you know the person who received the comment. You know, it almost minimizes in the good sense of the word minimize. Like, really, that ten-year-old boy is this enemy that I've been holding on to for fifteen years. Really, mm-hmm. is that I'm really going to let that dictate my world? And you almost start to really understand that. You know, I've said things when I was a little boy, definitely to people that I've said things as an adult I regret. Mm-hmm. Another thing, one of my most profound memories has really helped me with my relationship with food. And you see, the reason I'm passionate about the relationship with food, Kev, is it's the thing you need to the day you die. We harbor fantasies that life's just going to randomly change with a promotion or some kind of um, once-off incident. But, you know, your relationship with food, your relationship with your friends, your partner, they're the little things that make up 99.999% of life. I, I got back on holiday one night. My best friend was over visiting Ho Chi Minh in February of last year, and my girlfriend and the three of us went for Mexican food. And the food came, and everyone at the table dug in, and I just took a second. And everyone was just full of joy, full of laughter. And mm-hmm. at, at the other side of the table, I just pictured 16-year-old me, and I just thought, thank you for everything you had to go through, for taking me to this big cheesy nacho bowl, for everything you did, that I can yeah. sit here peacefully and calmly for all the shit you put yourself through. You know, mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of two examples of, as an adult, how I've reparented myself using inner child techniques. Another one you may or may not have seen, if you scroll back on my Instagram, about 20 posts, I wrote, I wrote to my inner child about 20 posts ago. I just wrote to him and I put it on Instagram. And yeah. there's like, there's a lot of comments on it saying, oh, it's a really nice piece and shit. So I'm like, thank you. Um, and it's really nice because we talk about the validation. If people had a comment and going, man, this is so shit and boring. I'm like, yeah. Cool. And pe- people are like, this, yeah. is, this is class. I'm like, cool. It's it's not actually intended to please anyone. It's This is how I talk to myself now. And mm-hmm. maybe it'll benefit you to know that this is how 31-year-old me talks to 8-year-old me now. So 
I empathize with that young boy. I feel for him. I respect him. I love him. I am grateful to everything that he went through to get me to 31-year-old me with this outlook on life. For he sure. was a very abundant, happy young boy that somewhere along the way internalized some... This this isn't kind of like victim status because I really dislike that mentality. I have a dis- strong disliking for victimhood and learned helplessness. But looking back, I can see that, that eight-year-old boy somewhere along the way internalized somebody else's anxieties on how the world should be, how we should look, how we should eat, how we should feel. And didn't have the skills to critically evaluate it. So for all the pain he put himself through mentally and emotionally, he's made me very mentally robust today. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful to that young boy. Very grateful to that young boy. There's also one other tiny thing. And me and one of my mates really disagree with this approach. I played soccer when I was about 10 years old. And I asked them, I was a substitute. I asked the manager, could I come on? And I'd say about one minute later, he took me back off as a substitute. I was a 10-year-old boy, gutted. And I asked, I was like, why'd you take me off? And he goes, you're not fit enough. Your first touch is terrible. Like, go back and come back and be better and you'll wow. play again. Jesus Christ. Best, best thing that ever happened to me. Best really? thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> uh, pers- personally, yes. I look back at that moment as a tiny bit of a sliding door moment in a way of, I think that's why I, even though I didn't do it very well, I think that's why I did try and get fit and strong. I think that's why now yeah. I appreciate fitness and health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so back to how you then, so let's say you have a, a client. I'm Bob. I'm coming in. I'm very overweight, have been all my life, just got a very unhealthy approach to food and, and exercise to how do you get them into that mindset that, and that approach? And also, how do you approach, if they do have those setbacks, how do you approach it when they they go off go off the rails? So it's a great question. It is. And I think part of it comes down to, I, I don't get this right with everybody. And I obviously haven't necessarily been able to change the life of everybody I've worked with. So I'm by no means arrogantly stating that. And I've really Jesus, tried to Paul, you haven't, you haven't changed everybody's life. What the no, hell, man? But, <laughs> but I'm prefacing what I'm about to say. I'm prefacing yeah. what I'm about to say by saying it, because there will be one or two have experienced that the, that wasn't their experience of me. But I, I do think communication and knowing what my clients are feeling before they even know it is the gift I was given. I think it was. I do. And obviously not everybody will have that experience of me. And that's why I'm trying to whittle down my coaching selection process to the point where I'm like, yeah, I get you. I get you and mm-hmm. I can help you with your with your problem. Now, I, I, communication is something I'm naturally strong at and understanding my clients uh, behavioral patterns is, is I say the gift I was given that could be a bit strong, but it's certainly something I'm high in awareness on. And uh, when I meet people, sometimes it might be as simple as if I want to know what they want to actually achieve because sometimes people leave their goals so vague that they're actually unhittable, lose weight. I don't consider that to be a goal. Um, mm. You know, if someone says, I want to save money, do you want to save a fiver or 5 million? I need a bit more context. And, you know, you get a tiny bit more specific and then you start to almost think, well, what would a day in the life of that person look like realistically? Because it's not six salads and it's not six pizzas and it's somewhere between those two extremes. And I do feel a lot of us are in this kind of on the diet, off the diet extreme. So ultimately, I'm, I'm trying to get people to cultivate almost like a sense of awareness immediately. What's your, what are your worst current habits that will stop you getting there? What mm-hmm. is a strength that you have that you think will get there? Because there's always an element, Kev, of ambivalence, in my opinion, with any change. Basically, the idea that change is appealing, but also sustaining is, is something that they're having trouble with. And I think we've all been there where we want to change and we lambast ourselves. I actually think it's very normal. And I think if you can get people... And, and in yourself, maybe your own mind, my mind, if you can almost accept, and I mean deeply accept, not, not accept with intent not to change, but accept as an actual just that it is what it is, that you are going to feel ambivalent 
basically want to change and to sustain any kind of things at various points in your life, you'll become less self-critical and you'll allow what will be, will be. Like I will often talk to a client. I talked to one of my ladies this morning on the phone and she said, I could have done without the four Nutella biscuits last night, but I, I ate them. And I said, well, tell me about your previous habits because I probably would have actually eaten more, maybe the whole pack. And I said, that's massive progress. Did you want the biscuits? And she goes, well, I did. And I, I even said to her, there's no point not eating biscuits to appease me. You're better off eating the amount you want, even if it's not the amount that's ideal. And she was like, okay, interesting. And I know, and I believe in my heart of hearts that the next day she'll probably go to two and she won't ever have to go lower than two because then it gets to a stage, well, realistically, if you cultivate awareness, what's the third biscuit offering that the second biscuit didn't satisfy? Usually mm -hmm. it's mindless. Usually it's unconscious. So we're not trying to go from a packet of biscuits to celery sticks. We're trying to go from your worst habit to an appropriate, happy amount of that habit. Kev, every single thing in and of itself can be problematic or it can be very empowering. Food is not the enemy. Money is not the enemy. Sex is not the enemy. Porn is not necessarily the enemy. It depends on the context and how you use it. But the devil's in the details and the devil's in the frequency and the devil's in the dose. And I'm, mm. I have a specific vision for my life. Very specific. And that is not necessarily in line with, for example, Orla, who processed my girlfriend, who processes the world in a very different way. Yet we want the same outcome. We want to be in love. We want to be happy. We want to be quite free. Uh, we want to be quite spiritual and we want to be very vulnerable and open together. But we'll have two different processes of getting there and we need to respect that about one another. And I feel that's the same way about, in a sense, your relationship with food. You don't want my diet just like you don't want my budget. If you want my budget, I'll give it to you. But when I'm back in Europe, we're going to football every five minutes. So if you haven't budgeted for that, that's a waste of money for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get clients to see the same thing. Well, I, I had four gin and tonics last night. Well, cool. Did you want them? Yes. Then I don't see the problem. You don't have a deadline. What, what kind of trainer would I be if I took away the one moderation or the two moderations in their life that offered them peace, connection, joy, love? And imagine... Mm -hmm then you, you almost go, well, well, gin or biscuits aren't healthy. I'm like, you need to define healthy. Because to me, I'm, I told you before this, I'm meeting my Spanish teacher for a beer. Is beer healthy? Nutritionally? Maybe not. Psychosocially? Absolutely. So you're going to need to define health a tiny bit more specifically for me. And a lot of people who are offering generic advice can't actually go deeper than their own point of view. And I accept that. I've been there. I've been trapped in that cognitive trap, which takes me to my next point. A lot of us are stuck in cognitive traps, false dichotomies all or nothing, black and white thinking, trying to mind read other people. Oh, Kev ignored me on the street. Kev must hate me. How dare Kev ignore me? Oh, Kev, well, he was a dick to me anyway, two years ago. I hate Kev. Next time I see Kev, I'm gonna, and then I meet <laughs> yeah, you the next yeah. day and it's like, oh, hey, Paul. Oh, Kev, I saw you on the street. Oh, did you? I didn't see you. I was listening to an audiobook. And that mm -hmm. stupid story in my mind was another cognitive trap that I had fallen into. 100%. So, so there's, there's, there's a lot to it, Kev, and it depends on the person that I'm talking to. So I just think genuine conversation, like we, we, you ring me today and you want some advice about something. Number one, you don't actually want my advice. You want to air your own thoughts while you figure it out yourself while I listen. Mm -hmm. And two, um, you want to trust the person that you're talking to. You want to trust them to challenge and critique your thought process to make you more self-aware. You don't want me to say do this, this, and this. You don't want that because I've done the this, this, and this nutritionally and it fucked me up. And that's why I said I'd never do it with life. That's why when my parents were like, you should get a university degree. No, you know, you should get a real job. <laughs> no, you're like it doesn't align with my happiness. You, you, Paul, you're not financially stable at 27. I'll figure it out by 32. Don't worry about me. Mm -hmm. So, and it's the happiest I've ever been. The happiest I've ever been. I, I like to do things on my terms now. 
in a non-showboaty, non-arrogant way. But I do. My my friends all tell me that they do like that I point march to the beat of my own drum. And I'm like, I do it because it's empowering. But like, maybe your marching to the beat of your own drum is a really safe, secure salary, a, a, a different life than mine. It's self-awareness. How are you mm-hmm. going to put these principles into your life? One, one last thing I want to leave it on, Kev, on, the, on this particular thing. There's, there's certain principles to everything that you can't deny. Like, I don't have an opinion on how airplanes fly because that plane has to fly and someone better than me is going to make that happen. Just like I don't have an opinion on how you should eat, but I do know if you eat too many calories, you'll gain excess body fat. You can't have an opinion on that. That's not up for debate, mm-hmm. but you can decide how to manipulate the principle and what work you're willing to put in. Do you want to lose 10 pounds, 50, 100? How long are you going to do it over? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to not? So it's a case of knowing, am I teaching you principles or am I giving you my opinion? And I just try and give the principles and say, look, here's the principles and here's a concept called self-awareness. Figure this shit out. I love it, man. I was sitting there like, wow, this is just so much of what you're you're talking about was just resonating with me. And you're, I, think, I think you nailed it as well. Like when you tell somebody they can't have something, they can't do, it's like your parents and you're like, yeah, uh, oh, I can't do it. Okay, well, that means I'm absolutely going to do it. You know, it's like, don't eat this stuff. Don't drink this. You're going to do it. And and I think like looking back for me as well, it's like, yeah, sure. I, I could easily go six weeks, six weeks without a alcohol, without sugar, chocolate. I come off it and it's the, the other way. Like it's the extreme on the other side of things. So it's just finding that balance. And I, I think it's, uh, I just, your, your approach is, is like, one thing is, uh, this is interesting to me as well, because, I honestly, although I'm still crazy healthy, well, crazy, I'm very healthy, have a very good approach to it now compared to what I used to. And I, I love exercising. So that exercising for me, I'll do it. it it's, it's, it's my happy place. But I still f- catch myself. I'm a, I think I'm a pretty self-aware person, you know, and I, and I practice it every day through meditation and I'm just, you know, very conscious of it. But I still struggle with the, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm putting pigeon holding myself here by saying that I struggle with it, but I still, if there's sugar in the house, like ice cream, cookies, baked goods, Alexa last week for my birthday bought me, I think it was like eight different brownies, cookies, croissants, baked goods. Like we're talking an obscene amount of baked goods here, Paul, like seriously, and I ate it all in a day. <laughs> and it was just kind of, I didn't really, I was aware, like, do you really want this? Like, nah, I don't really want it, but I'm going to eat it anyways. And I honestly, like the, the one thing I would say, I didn't really beat myself up about it and it's okay. And I, I think I have an approach now where I kind of give myself six days, not binging. And then one day where I just go all out, and just, whatever I want. Um, but still, I'm, I still think I struggle with in the sense of I can be aware and I still go and do it. I'm curious, do you have any, like any insight? You're, you're coaching me now, Paul, <laughs> but like I'm any just, insight. I'm talking on, about my biggest passion, Kev. I'm not coaching. Yeah, no, I, I can tell. I can tell. That's why I, I want to ask you more about it. So when you become like aware of it, how do you do like, do you just, kind of pause and give yourself, no, I'm going to give it five minutes. I'm going to keep asking myself, do I really want this? Is this what I want? Or what? how do you approach it? 
Well, you, you, you've said something really interesting. Uh, apparently, your self-awareness comes across on your podcast, by the way, overall. when I Because I hadn't talked to you in four years, and then I listened to your podcast, and I was like, this is the Kev I knew, but this is like Kev 2.0. Like, this is good <laughs> shit, man. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's you true. Do. And that's why I got back in touch. I was like, fuck, I got to get this guy speaking on my podcast. You want to get to that level, in my opinion, where you can keep any kind of food in the house and not have it consume you. So there's there's facets to, in my opinion, your relationship with food. I always like to remind myself, food will always be there. So it doesn't matter how many baked goods are in the house. Once you eat them out of the house, they're still abundant in society. You can get them anywhere. So food will always be there. Uh, second is, what will the next bite do that the previous didn't satisfy? And I mm. sometimes keep asking myself that at the start until I'm like, okay, no, I'm actually satisfied. Now I can put the rest back. Um, and the third thing is just almost, it's like almost trying to create a new pathway in the brain. You know, I am now a person who can combine those couple of techniques with I am a person of moderation. I am a person that if you monitored me, I'd be proud to be seen eating this way. I'd be proud mm -hmm. to have my brother, sister, children's relationship with food based off the way I currently see food. And I think it actually gets easier. Now, for me personally, as someone who had the worst binge eating you'd have ever seen, I have two lint chocolates left from a three-pack I bought last night. And that was not possible Damn. last night. Or, wow. or, or, possible last decade, pardon, last night. Last yeah. decade. Not possible. Or at least that was the perception I had created. So there are little techniques that I encourage. I would encourage anyone to try to be open to have a chocolate bar tonight. One bar, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you, try it. Just just try it. Maybe you mightn't be ready yet, and that's fine. If you're not ready, that's, that's truly understandable. But if you're ready after dinner, after a structured meal, when you're relaxed and calm, not in front of the telly, eat it, break it into chunks, taste it, savor it, feel the sensations, and, and after, just see how you feel. And you'll be done. It's very hard to find the line between anticipation versus regret with certain kinds of foods. It's a very thin line. And um, and also the anticipation of these baked goods generally is better than the moment anyway. So, yeah, uh, for sure. And that's, that's a couple of techniques that, I use. I love it. And I was just going to say, uh, one thing that I try to be conscious of, if I am having a treat, to pause the TV, pause what I'm watching, and really try and savor it. Um because, yeah, I think it's like some, how sweet something actually is until you focus in on it, like you're talking about. I love that. Just pausing, even closing your eyes and feeling every single sensation with it is typically going to do the job. But, Paul, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. <laughs> I really hope that it'll help a lot of people out there who are struggling with, their, with food, their approach to it, uh, maybe an eating disorder. I think it's going to impact a lot of people. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. And I do have one last question. I don't know if you've heard this on previous podcasts, but I, I know I know the question. Yeah, you know it's going. You know it's going. So, what does it mean for you to be human? Personally, now I believe perspective. I think it. I think it doesn't matter how talented or smart you are. You will be most limited in your perception and perspective of the world. If you feel other people are responsible for you and your actions, then that's the reality that you're going to cultivate. I believe you can never hold anybody else accountable for your actions, and I think you will free yourself open to a more unlimited world than before when you have a certain perspective of gratitude you never hold anybody accountable for how you feel you never blame anyone you try not to take things too personally and um set the example be the example become the example that you wanted be the influence you needed when you were younger be that person don't retreat to the opposite thing well poor me i never got it be be the person who says i never got the example that i needed I'm going to become that example for somebody else, like a younger me who I needed when I was vulnerable and impressionable and weak and tired and strive to be that person for someone else. That's my opinion. That's just the way I see it. Love it. Love it. 
Paul, you're a legend. Thanks so much for coming on the show. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Uh, please remember to subscribe, share the share the podcast. We'd really appreciate it with somebody who gets something from it. And tune in again next week. Appreciate it.